Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, they thought, why stop there? Why not create other exciting and unexpected combinations like rainbows and ropes or fruity and gummy or chewy and more chewy? That's why they created fun treats like Sweet Tarts Twisted Rainbow Ropes, Gummies Fruity Splits, and Chewy Fusions. When you dare to combine, it's sure to blow your mind. Sweet Tarts. Dare to combine. Visit SweetTartsCandy.com to shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes... Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cuckoo writers, and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about their specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Genevieve Taylor back to the podcast. Jen is a food writer, barbecue expert and owner of Bristol Fire School, where she teaches students how to cook great food over fire. She's also the author of 12 cookery books and her latest book, Seared, The Ultimate Guide to Barbecue and Meat, is out now. Welcome, Jen. Hello. Hi. How are you? I think you're right in the middle of live cooking festival madness yeah, at the minute. It's like um this is silly season in my world, you know, it's like <laughs> barbecue mad. So yeah, it's pretty pretty busy, but busy is good. Lots of festivals. <laughs> yeah, lots of festivals. Um kind of demos and stuff the books come out so obviously I'm doing a lot of stuff around that I've just started writing another book uh and yeah fire school classes booked out uh until September I think wow amazing well thanks for putting aside some time in your mad schedule today to share some of that absolute pleasure barbecue wisdom with us (laughs) so let we're going to go through your your 10 um 10 things you need to know about brilliant barbecuing. So let's start with the basics, fuel. And you say that should be your number one ingredient you're thinking about. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so passionate about encouraging people to use good, uh, sustainable British charcoal because to my mind, it's it's important for many, many, many reasons, not least the 
kind of the result, you know, the food you're going to eat is going to taste better if you're using good charcoal. But more importantly than that, um, making charcoal is very positive for the environment. If it's done in a good way, you know, it's really good at increasing the biodiversity of woodlands um, because woodlands need managing. Um, Sadly, the vast bulk of charcoal we buy in this country is picked up in quite an impulsive way because, uh, you know, when... The way us Brits barbecue is, you know, you're sort of sat at your desk on a Friday night and you look out the window and you go, yes, yes, it's sunny, let's let's have a barbecue. And you grab some charcoal on the way home from work um, and a packet of sausages or some burgers or whatever and you go home and you sort of burn the hell out of them and you think this is a bit rubbish, isn't it? And then you probably don't do it again for an, a long time. Um, but that charcoal uh, will have come from the tropics Um the bulk of charcoal making regions in the world is West Africa, so around the Congo or South America, kind of the Amazon rainforest. Uh, it will have been produced not in an environmentally sensitive way. Without a shadow of a doubt, some of that will have been illegally harvested. Uh, the nature of illegal activities is it's quite hard to quantify it so um nobody quite knows the situation but you know if you're an illegal logger and you chop down a virgin rainforest tree it's illegal it falls to the forest floor take it to a sawmill you make a table out of it the table is illegal but actually all the offcuts can get scooped up and get a stamp of sustainability on them to say this is a recycled product it's got it's kind of good for the environment that's the illusion we have so um actually there's a lot of loopholes people can jump through to uh, bring us wood that is not sustainable uh i personally wouldn't cook anything on anything that isn't British. Um, It's just the line in the sand that I've drawn for myself. I think it's really important to support British charcoal makers because it can be very positive. Uh, I'm so passionate about this, you can tell. It's just like something that I really like shouting about. Um, That that myth that we all have, that we think we know about barbecuing, that the charcoal has to be white and ashed over before we can cook on it. People write that. People write that this day and age in books and it's absolute nonsense if you're using really good pure charcoal you don't need to do that I would actively encourage you not to do that because you're wasting the heat energy that that white and ashed over thing was it's purely invented for kind of crappy charcoal that's got chemicals in it so what should it look like it, it should just be kind of lit you know yeah it could it should just be lit and I can light charcoal here at fire school um and we can be cooking on it in five minutes wow you know it's literally that quick it's it's kind of i i like to say it's five minutes quicker than you could heat up your gas barbecue you know (laughs) good good charcoal lights super quick if you if you kind of um you know get the good stuff and it's really important and i i see i see so little point in people spending I don't know, 30 quid on a really beautiful grass-fed, salt-aged piece of steak only to cook it on charcoal that has possibly been illegally harvested from the Amazon rainforest. It kind of makes no sort of sense to me at all. What sort of, um, what, what sort of practical things can people be looking out for them when they're, 
when they're looking for chocolate. So we're looking for British. Will it will it have various? What sort of labels are we looking for? If you um, if you Google sustainable British charcoal, there's a lot of very brilliant small scale charcoal makers uh, up and down the country. Um, my personal favourite is Whittle and Flame. They're friends of mine. I think they make the most sustainable charcoal on the planet. Um, there's a label called Grown in Britain, which um, is a sort of certification that means that wood has been grown in okay. Britain. There's no kind of loopholes that can be got through about mm. that. Um, the Forestry Stewardship Council stamp is a starting point point, but there's a lot of loopholes that can be got through like I say to sort of bring illegally harvested wood to market with a sustainability stamp on it so um I would be looking out for the grown in Britain label grown in Britain uh, that's get good on, yeah get and um, get on google and and do your research I mean yeah. somewhere local to you is obviously positive you know yeah. find somewhere that's near you and in terms of getting ahead um if you're trying to avoid that, leaving the office and going down the, yeah. the local shop and buying your <laughs> buying your chocolate, how wh- how should we store it, and how long will it sit in storage for? <laughs> so charcoal is ninety five percent pure carbon. Mm. Good good charcoal. So pure carbon is one of those things that has been on the earth for millions of years it is not going to degrade a bag of charcoal it will it will last a million years it will last more than a million years (laughs) you know (laughs) it's not obviously you don't be wanting to leave it in the rain because it will get wet um but apart from that there's there's nothing that's gonna degrade it so if you've got a little if you've got a little shed a bag in the back of the shed will will way outlast uh, everybody's <laughs> lifetimes you know it's, it's not gonna go off okay so and actually I think um one of the best things about lockdown is it's taught us all that online shopping works you know yeah. people source so many things online you know I buy practically all my meat online now yeah. directly from the farmers or the suppliers same with charcoal all these charcoal makers will send you charcoal yeah that's great. Uh, so you don't need to kind of go to the garage on the way home from work. Okay, fine. Brilliant. Good stuff. Okay, let's move on to the next one, which is um, to become a better barbecue cook, you have to geek up a little on science. Tell us tell us mm. about the, the science and the physics of fire. Well, in lame, in layman's in, terms. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try. I mean, I am a bit of a sort of sciencey nerd, so I'll try not to get too deep into it. But um. Essentially, you know, the reason I founded the Bristol Fire School, I run the Bristol Fire School, is because, to my mind, the fire's the only thing that matters. Once you understand a little bit about fire and how it works, Mm. it's just cooking. It's literally just cooking. So... um, in my world, there's no such thing as barbecue food. You yeah. know, it's just food that I happen to cook outside on the fire. So you need to just learn a little bit about how fire works, you know. Um, and then be- when you do that, you can understand how to control the heat. You know, it's about making that fire be the fire you need it to be to cook whatever it is you want to cook on. So um, <clears throat> so there's three there's three types of heat we're looking at. So infrared heat is like the actual lit fuel itself. That I call that like the mother heat. That's the source heat. It's the fire. And then that fire transfers its heat energy into 
anything that's conductive within your kind of grilling barbecue space so the metal grill bars like the metal walls the ceramic walls you know they all take in the heat from the fire and then they radiate them back out to help with the cooking process um and then the third kind of heat is uh, hot air just like your hair dryer you know it's the way um heat hot air heat is a remarkably efficient source of cooking you know our fan ovens in our kitchen they all run on convection currents hot air um so for that reason i always say to people if you've got a lid on your barbecue and i would encourage you to get a barbecue with a lid shut it you know shut it trap in trap in that hot air you you wouldn't dream of trying to cook a cake in your oven and leaving the door wide open it wouldn't even occur to anybody to do that same with barbecue you know as soon as you shut a lid down you're making the whole thing much more efficient and much more oven like because you're using those really really efficient kind of convection currents or air currents that's great so really thinking about how all those different heat sources are working on your on your meat or your yeah I mean obviously you know obviously if you're cooking directly over the fire we would call that direct cooking you know when you're above the heat source it's going to be way 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 hotter than if you're cooking off to the side of the fire where it will be a much cooler more gentler cook and I think one of the common mistakes people make is cooking things too hot too quickly over too high a heat source yeah. and actually I think probably 90% of the time you're better cooking things away from the fire more gently for longer yeah I think we're <laughs> going to go into direct and indirect right. in fact let, let's go in, let's go into that next because and, and we'll we'll come back to Brian in but but let's talk yeah. about direct heat and indirect heat because we took I, I read that a lot can you explain exactly what that means in terms of people setting up a barbecue yeah, super, super simple. So uh, what you never want to do with your barbecue is is fill the whole of the bottom base of it with lit charcoal, because then all you've got is a very, very hot, high heat. Um, so you always want to put your charcoal in one area of the barbecue um, and leave the other. So the most common setup is like charcoal on one half uh, and no charcoal on the other half. And then the food you put directly above the fire, we would call direct cooking. And the food that you put off to the side of the fire, we would call indirect cooking. And like I say, the majority of the time, you're better cooking a bit more indirectly. So not over that very, very high heat. I mean, lit um, lit charcoal, when the charcoal is burning really um, up, up to speed is 500 celsius what on this what on this planet would you want to really cook at 500 celsius apart from steak steak is the only exception to this rule but most of the time you want to be cooking slightly away from the fire slightly more gentle heat and and as you said the that gives you the option of of using your different heat sources because then you've you haven't got the direct heat from underneath but you have got the transference of heat to the bars and if you close yeah. the lid you have got yeah. that air heat there 
Exactly that. Yeah. If you picture your barbecue, I mean, I often, my favourite barbecue is my kettle barbecue, like mm. a round one. So if you picture the kind of clock face of the round barbecue, say you've got your fuel on one side from mm. sort of 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, the zone from 6 o'clock back up through 9 and back up to 12, no heat. And what you're creating is a heat gradient from sort of left to right. Okay. So just like, just like you would turn the knob on your hob up and down to kind of raise or lower the flame you're controlling the heat in a sort of horizontal plane from from left to right across your barbecue so it's obviously really hot on one side really cool on the other side and actually kind of in the middle in the middle so you can move your food from you know from left to right yeah amazing let's talk about a a couple of things involving Mm. stuff we're cooking so brining Mm. um very popular becoming more popular and you're saying um you should always dry brine with salt um tell tell us about that we're talking about meats here aren't we yeah so uh so brining is just sort of um dry brining is just adding salt basically so you sprinkle salt over um like flaky sea salt i generally use like molden um sprinkle it over the surface of your meat ideally 24 hours before you want to cook it all surfaces like just all over there's a rule of thumb that's like a tablespoon a kilo a tablespoon of like molden type salt a kilo Um, sprinkle it all over pop it on a rack over a tray slide it into the fridge uncovered just leave it 24 hours ideally 12 hours is fine anything less than two hours I probably wouldn't bother Um, but what what the salt does, um, salt is a really tiny molecule, sodium chloride, it's very small. Instantly it draws out a little bit of water from the food. So I think people have this perception that um, salt is drying to your food uh, and it's absolutely opposite case really. Um, so the salt draws out a little bit of liquid, a little bit of water from the meat, creates a very strong brine. And then over time, that brine works its way back through the meat fibres by a process called diffusion. And what it does, individual meat fibres, I like to envisage them as a bundle of spaghetti. And and each, each piece of spaghetti is a meat fibre and they're bound very tightly together with chemical bonds. The salt breaks the bonds between the okay. meat fibres or the spaghetti. So what, what was a very tightly bound bundle mm. becomes a looser, more floppy bundle. And why that is good for cooking meat is when that meat hits the grill, the meat fibres can't contract up, squeezing out the liquid. Okay. So more of the liquid stays in the meat. Oh. So the goal with all meat cookery, yeah. all meat is 70, 75% water. Doesn't matter which animal it came from. We, we humans are 70, 75% water. So the goal with cooking meat is to keep that 70, 75% moisture within the meat and not lose it essentially so brining works really well because the meat cannot contract up squeezing out that moisture so it stays with inside it stays more juicy um so it's brilliant it's a brilliant it's a really brilliant really simple thing and i've i've come to learn that uh it's it's just good a good habit to get into regardless of what meat you're cooking regardless of how you're cooking it really so it doesn't matter if even if you're just doing a couple of of small steaks for you and a friend that's still still get into that couple of hours before 
Yeah, I would. I mean, two hours is a minimum because you need time for the diffusion process to work. Um, 24 hours would be ideal. 12 hours is is great. Um, But yeah, two hours is a minimum. Let's talk about another bit of science as well that you said. You said brown food is best. Tell us why brown (laughs) food is best, Jen. (laughs) We all, we all know brand things taste good, don't we? So this, there's this thing called the Maillard reaction, which I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard of. So Maillard was a French chemist. Uh, and in about 1912, he discovered this series of chemical chain reactions that he named after himself because, you know, <laughs> why? <we're, laughs> that's what happens. Um, so the Maillard reaction is also known as the browning reaction. So it's, diff- it's different from caramelization, which is the burning browning of sugars the Maillard reaction is the it's a chain reaction between an amino acid which is a protein and a sugar and those molecules under heat knock together break apart form a sort of unstable molecule which then knocks together makes another molecule so the browning reaction creates hundreds and hundreds of new flavor molecules um, which is why brown food tastes better. So if you think it's not limited to meat at all, but a perfectly seared crust on a steak yeah. is in- infinitely nicer to eat than a steak that's been sort of boiled, yeah. you know? We all know that. We all just inherently know that. A loaf of bread that's got a beautiful brown crust is nicer than a kind of flabby white loaf that yeah. doesn't have a lovely brown <laughs> crust you know brown things taste of more um same for beer you know i know you like your beer as do i but you know it's that that kind of color in beer mm-hmm. is the mild reaction in process you okay. know it's the tasting of the ingredients yeah and you also say um stop trying to achieve those perfect grill marks they are not 100% the mark of a well-cooked steak I'm interested in that because when you go to some places it seems like Mm -hmm. all they're trying to do is get those little grill marks on a steak doesn't it yeah it's so funny isn't it I mean if you think about it so the so the evidence that Maillard reaction has happened Mm. we can see it in the browning on the surface of the meat Mm. so if you imagine I'm holding my fingers up now and my fingers are the perfect grill bar marks what's happening in between my fingers there's only half of the steak absolutely (laughs) absolutely nothing you know nothing so you're missing out on a whole world of flavor if you want stripes on your steak because all the bits between in between the stripes my reaction hasn't occurred so actually you want to get a beautiful brown crust all over your steak and the way and the way you achieve that is to keep flipping it keep turning it constantly oh really because you want to you want to get a really good browning all over you know you don't don't put it down and just leave it to get stripes on it and who wants you know you don't stripes are not good so we're talking on would would we be doing in a direct heat at that point and then flipping every what 20 seconds more? yeah any every sort of 20 30 seconds I would flip so steak is the only thing that I yeah. would really want to cook over yeah. very very high heat uh, and and take away convection currents yeah. um, because you want a very very high one directional heat from underneath because yeah. what you don't want if you introduce a lid to the equation you're going to make it um the whole thing 
much more efficient in a way. So then the steak overcooks before you've had time to brown the bottom. Um, So it's about giving yourself time Time. with steak. Yeah, you want maximum time to get maximum browning without overcooking the middle. Okay, and... And that kind of links into my next question, which is which is about kit, because I've seen there's lots of, you know, very expensive barbecue kits and stuff out there where you can buy 17 different implements. What do we actually need? I know, for example, I need something to flip that steak without burning my little hands. So, yeah. so what, what, what so, is the essential kit and what can we just leave in the shop? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not one for kit and gadgets no. at all. So, so my very favourite barbecue is my Weber Kettle barbecue. It's a standard classic design. Yeah. It, you know, there's not there's not really many bells and whistles. It's got a place to put your fuel. It's got places that you can. You know, I've got baskets so I can move my fuel around. Just a lid, I think, is essential. But in terms of actual gadgetry. Uh, tongs tongs are good good tongs yeah Yeah. long long handled ones well i've got ones that are quite short because i don't like the you know you can get like really long ones and i sort of call those i kind of call those man tongs (laughs) they're sort of massive man tongs you know (laughs) look at me with my massive tongs um they don't need they don't need to be that long um they need to be good you they need to feel comfortable in your hand Mm. yeah um uh like leather gloves are good actually long handled you know um long you know sleevey gloves Mm. i've got kind of welder's gloves leather for picking things up uh they're useful better than a tea towel uh i would consider a temperature probe like a sort of thermopen probe to be an essential piece of kit uh and actually that's probably my essentials really i mean you know by taking kind of pots and pans and sort of frying pans or chap you know chap a hot plate kind of surfaces that's brilliant for kind of increasing the versatility of what you cook because you're just you know you're just then using the heat um the fire as a heat source so Mm. put a pan on to make a sauce while you're doing your steak you know next to it you know you don't need to do that inside once you've made the fire you can cook anything just use it over it and do the whole meal so um, but actually, you don't really need special kind of barbecue pots and pans, no. particularly, okay. as long as there's no wooden or plastic handles. Um, yeah. And I pro- probably, personally, I wouldn't put anything non-stick on a barbecue because yeah. of the types of temperatures you're talking about. I just don't, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of non-stick anyway, but, um, you know, I've, those enamel kind of falcon tins, brilliant on barbecues. Oh, yeah. Chuck them on. They might warp a bit, but they'll go back again when they're cool. <laughs> you know, just, just sort of, most what you've got hanging around yeah. is fine anything you mm. take camp and camp and stuff basically yeah, that you can get just, over a real you know, fire i love that yeah yeah nice yeah, and cheap exactly. and cheerful and you mentioned you mentioned temperature probes there because one of your points was um was about the prod test that we're being told if you prod, <laughs> is, is that when you kind of do that weird thing with your fingers and then prod it yeah to see everybody it's... kind of holds their fingers up and does that but nobody really knows what it means so so i'm holding my fingers up now so the idea is if you pinch your thumb to your index finger yeah. oh yeah the your little the pad of pad. your thumb will feel different yeah than if you pinch your yeah. thumb to your little finger it's yeah. like harder um but <sighs> You know, the reason it's kind of rubbish is because 
are my hands, are the, are the muscles in my hands going to be different to a six foot six rugby player? Yeah. Yeah, of course <laughs> they are. Of course they are. Uh, so that's the first point. Everybody's hands are different. Um, the second point is different muscles from the animal, you know, the, the, the animal that you're eating. Yeah. So fillet steak is very soft. You know, rump steak is a bit harder. You know, it's an absolutely kind of weird and arbitrary on a thumb thing. Mm. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, if there's a lot of intramuscular fat, that's that's going to make your steak feel harder if it's not rendered. You know, there's so many weird variables to it. Uh, get a temperature probe, <laughs> shove it in. <laughs> The temperature probe tells you the temperature and you know it's done. And yeah. I think we're so, you know, we <clears throat> we can be so paranoid about undercooking food because we don't want to poison our sort of friends yeah. and family that we go absolutely in the opposite direction and we completely overcook it. Yeah. But if you've got a probe, you shove it in and you know it's done. Once that steak's done... Um, the, the tip that you gave me about, um, you were talking about about spaghetti before, um, mm-hmm. and now you were going to tell us about cutting across the grain, because that's something we hear a lot. How do we, how do we know how we're cutting and, and what the best way to cut a steak is to get the juiciness? Yeah, so um, cutting across the grain is really important for increasing the perception of tenderness once that okay. meets goes into your mouth so if you go back to the analogy of spaghetti if you were to cut with the grain that is down the length of the spaghetti Mm. what you would put in your mouth is a long strand of spaghetti or a long strand of meat you know like a rubber band basically um that's what you would eat so we always want to cut across the grain so if you imagine your bundle of spaghetti and you cut across it so you're snipping it into little short pieces and then that's what you put in your mouth And already you've done half the chewing process for you just by slicing it because you've cut it into short little meat section fibres. So it's going to be tender, more tender. Um, And actually often on meat, it's easier to spot the grain when it's raw. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes. Exactly. I always encourage people just to, you know, just give it a 10 second glance before you start cooking it. Which way are the fibres running here? Just make a note of that. And then when you come to cut it, cut across those fibres. Because once you've got that beautiful crust on a steak, for example, or a joint, it's not always easy to see what you're you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So finally, um, and we talked a lot about meat, and I know that you've written your gorgeous um, book, Chard, which is all about um, veg barbecue veg cooking just give us yeah. a few few ideas for for those people out there who might want to introduce a few because because there's like a world of amazing barbecue cooking for veg out there isn't there yeah i mean vegetables are amazing cooked over fire you know the it concentrates the flavors and in many ways i think i know i've just written a meat cookery book but i i almost prefer vegetables because you know think about the the texture and to some extent the taste of meat can be a little bit one-dimensional um texturally certainly but think about the texture of vegetables you've got soft and squishy ones you've got crunchy ones you know all the different colors and different flavors like it to, to my mind, they can be much more exciting than yeah. meat because, you know, and the trick to vegetable barbecue, I think, um, 
is to layer up the flavours, okay. you know, with herbs and nuts and kind of maybe creamy, cheesy, yogurty, something, you know, just layer, you know, you're building layer upon yeah. layer and upon layer. And I think that's why um, Ottolenghi's recipes and food is so exciting because yeah. it's it's layered you know you're building layers yeah. of different things going on so when you eat it's like a kind of explosion in your mouth isn't it yeah. it's like really exciting food um so all vegetables <clears throat> are great over fire uh, some things take a very long time to cook <laughs> and that's the thing that's the thing that that surprised me when I was writing chard was um you know, something like a cauliflower, hours and hours and hours, you know, <laughs> to do it. <laughs> it takes a long time to do it properly, but it, boy, is it worth it. You know, smoking yeah. a whole cauliflower is insanely wow. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah so good. What other veg do you like apart from collie? What's your like top, top three veg? Jen's top three veg. <laughs> uh, top three veg. Well, smoked parsnips are awesome. Wow. Yeah, super good. good. So they're so sort of sweet and they just yeah. really kind of concentrate and they take on the smoke beautifully. So parsnips are really good. Um, you know, the classics, all those classic Mediterranean veg are mm, amazing, yeah. kind of peppers and aubergines and courgettes and so on. Um, but I think, yeah, it's the root veg that are quite exciting. The things that Carrots. you... Yeah, that you would kind of ro roast and know that that sweetness... I'll tell you what else is really trendy at the minute, has been for ages, is like grilled cabbage, hispy cabbage. Yeah, you're nice. a fan of that. Yeah, yeah big fan. That. Yeah. yeah, and um, Cavallo Nero, you know the um, Tuscan oh, yeah. kale. That that's fantastic. Like okay. slapped over a bit of fire because it goes all sort of crispy and lovely. And uh, yeah, mm. brilliant. Some amazing barbecue tips there, and lots of science. I loved all the science bits. So. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of the important thing I think for me is just just having a little bit of knowledge about yeah, the science. Yeah, just go just really going, interesting. going a little bit deeper. I like it, and you know, becoming a mm. better barbecue because of that. Um, and your book seared. Um, is out now and where can people keep up to date with your um the fire school with the books with everything else that you're mm. doing because i noticed you, you've been doing some nice videos on instagram at the minute yeah i mean mostly on instagram these days i've sort of given up on twitter because there's only so many hours in the day to manage these things so i just decided to focus on instagram <laughs> <laughs> so i'm yeah genevieve eats on instagram you can okay. find me and then yeah and then Bristol Fire hello. School is um is is online as well, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I've got a, a Instagram for that as well. But the the best place is to find me on Instagram, and then there's links through to my there's website. Links to everything. And you can... Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again for coming to chat to us today, Jen. It's been lovely. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>